0: This is the Used Car Dealer Podcast.
1: Well, hello, Zach here, and it's another episode of the Used Car Dealer Podcast. Today, we have James Maynard, who is the Senior Vice President of Product and Engineering at Cox Automotive, and he leads some of their biggest dealer software brands. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Zach. Appreciate it. To get started, for those kind of listening or watching this podcast James, what does your role entail at Cox Automotive?
0: So I uh, I have responsibility for product and engineering. So how we build our products. And my scope is for what we call dealer software, which you you just mentioned. So that covers our X-Time products for service. It covers our CRM product, VIN solutions for sales. Uh, it covers our digital retailing capability, our dealer.com website um, offering, as well as our DMS offering.
1: Wow. And how many engineers and product managers do you have working under your division?
0: Uh, that kind of changes. So I, it's probably right now somewhere between 700 and 800, just in, in my group overseeing
1: those products. Wow. And let's start off by talking about digital retail and the kind of rise of digital retail during the pandemic. What has been some of your observations from your lens at Cox Automotive on digital retail adoption for auto dealers?
0: Well, I think it was, you know, I I wish there would have been dealers that had adopted it more naturally, right? But we obviously got a significant acceleration um, of digital retailing. Um, So I think that, you know, I think we were ready from a product. We had a huge backlog of people wanting to get digital retailing enabled. Um, We were in a good position to get them enabled. Um, But I I do think that there there were some dealers that it was a trial by fire um, for them to, have to try to get products installed, to be prepared, to figure out how to work with consumers from a touchless perspective, um, and learn how to handle the process for digital retailing. So it can be different with how you interact with, interact with the consumer, um, especially in situations. I think there were there were you know where the consumer doesn't want to come in at all if they can avoid it, and it was also amazing to see how resilient dealers were and how much they adapted really, really quickly um, to handle all of those different circumstances. So it was, it was, it was amazing to see the creativity. I wish they would have been there before, but Hey, I mean, at least everybody was there and they jumped into it.
1: So are you seeing just like franchise car dealers adopt digital retail? What about independent dealers?
0: Um, You know, I think part of that depends on the size, you know, and and the number of vehicles you have and your reach for consumers. Um, so it's it's gonna vary a bit, but the larger, you know, franchises, the ones that are very digitally savvy and put themselves out in the market and advertise, um, are still very interested in digital retailing and it applies just as much to a used car um as it does to a new car. In fact, I mean a lot of the complexity of new car with incentives and those kinds of things goes away um, when you really are focused on used car. And I think you have a better opportunity in that market to focus on the consumer experience. So, um, you know, if we think about, Yes, dealers stepped into using digital retailing and more and more of them did. As we go forward in time, um, I think it's going to be more and more important because I think it even makes that smaller used car dealer uh, more scalable, right? Because they can engage more consumers and maybe many of those are never going to come onto the lot, but they're still able to get them a car, um, show them the car, interact with the car, um, and, and they've never come onto the lot. So I think there's opportunity there for everyone.
1: Great points there. And when you think about kind of the saturation of like digital retail tools, you have some of them that are raising large amounts of like venture capital. What are you guys doing at Cox and with the dealer.com brand in terms of digital retail that's differentiated or unique?
0: Well, it, it, I think it goes across the brands too, right? So if we think about retailing um, specifically, um, we're tr- we're trying to actually think about digital retailing, not just as a lead generation capability, but how do we actually help dealers retail digitally? So just a little bit of reverse the words, but there's still a large portion of consumers that they come on the lot or they pick up the phone to engage yeah. with, with the dealership. And so what we're looking at is how are we enabling our digital tools to to help that dealer Uh, and that consumer, no matter how they start the process. So, you know, we thought, I think when we started digital retailing, we thought of it as an online to in-store experience, a start of the experience, Um, now we see it as a continuation of the experience, maybe starting in the store and continuing um, remotely or continuing digitally. Uh, We saw a lot of creativity from dealers in that space where they started training BD agents, right? BDC agents to Mm -hmm. answer the phone and sell the car. And they use the digital retailing tools to do that to key in the information and then send that information to the consumer so the consumer can pick it up and run with it. Why can't we do the same thing if the consumer is in the store and on a test drive? Why can't I start the deal for you um, and send you the link while we're in the car? And I begin that transparent experience, and we don't start out on paper. We start out digitally and stay, digitally, stay digital throughout the experience. So I, I think that's how we're thinking about it as a more broad, um, you know, Expected experience from a consumer expect, uh, perspective.
1: What do you see as some of the biggest misconceptions about digital retail from either the dealer or the consumer standpoint?
0: Um, I, I think, from a consumer standpoint, they they don't really know. I think you know. I don't think they run around and say, "Oh, I wish I had digital retailing." They just want to do a portion of their experience. So I think there's a misconception to a degree that we think. We think that consumers have a perspective, right? About what it is they wanna do. Um, different consumers want to do different things. There is no one size fits all. Um, and so we need to make sure as dealers, we're there to, to meet these different consumer expectations. Um, there are a lot of consumers that start shopping online and then from there, it starts to diverge dramatically as to the percentage of people that, that want that experience to con- to continue online or just to continue on the phone and have someone help me. Um, and so I think there is a misconception that everybody is going to start a digital retailing deal and everything's going to be done um, You know, completely without the consumer coming in and interacting with the car. Cars are very complex. Dealers are still a big part. Of helping the consumer learn about um, those vehicles, and frankly, a lot of what we're seeing from our consumer research is that consumers want the dealer to help them understand the difference between car A and car B, or model A and model B. Um, so that's that's a big role that I think the dealership still plays. So let's not forget that that part of the role um, right. in it. And then I think from a dealer perspective, um, I, I think they're you know I think we discount the process and the in-store experience a bit. And so if, why wouldn't I as a dealer want to do the same thing for my consumer if they're in the store? Why do I shift them to a paper-based process where I leave them sitting at the sales desk while I go back to the desk manager or or we wait on the F&I manager? That that speed and that still, that that interaction digitally, I think is still something that consumers want. And I think we as dealer, I think dealers should be thinking about how they offer that experience going forward. And don't don't treat your in-store and your quote unquote online differently, treat it as one retailing experience. And I think if you do that and think about it, you might come out with kind of a different, um, different processes and different practices that you apply more consistently.
1: So what are some of the other exciting innovations you're working on with the brands that you manage at Cox Automotive?
0: Um so well the first thing i would say is um i think we were in a a good position we had just launched at nada back in february when we had just launched them you know, 20 some like 28 29 products as cox automotive new sets of capabilities wow. um a lot of those were in the the digital space right we start we were talking about innovation around service and service check in as an example and and being able to interact with video um voice and pictures uh, from a service perspective, as an example, um, we were just starting that, so we accelerated a lot of those things as COVID hit, and were able to get a lot of things rolled out. So we were well positioned with a lot of our products um, as dealers needed these new capabilities. Um, but if you think about all of those, uh, there's a you know there are a lot of dealers that were using Zoom just like we're on right now um, right. to interact with consumers, and so there's still a lot of pieces and parts of tools that dealers are having to you know, glom together in order to uh, provide a great experience. Um, and so when we think about what we're doing in the future, it is it is thinking about how we, you know, take that complexity out of it. How are we going to help to integrate a video experience, a co-browsing experience right in with a selling experience and, and carry that right through to, to offering a deal? Why can't um, we move from a chat to a co-browse to a text to an email back to a text, and and completely sign everything digitally. So it's bringing all of those digital capabilities together in a seamless um, workflow and a seamless set of capabilities. It's going to take some time, um, but we're making you know progress on key parts of that. So that's really that digitization of the sales process. And the digitization of the service process are big portions of what we're, you know, primarily focused on right now. Um, and that'll go all the way through 21, um, probably into 22. We'll continue to evolve with new, new, new things as things progress. Um, and then we're also looking at efficiency. Um, there are a lot of dealers having to make do with skeletal crews. Um, mm-hmm. They're having to have people deliver vehicles or pick up vehicles for service or. Those kinds of things. So they're having to make do with the staff they had. So we need to help them be more efficient. And so looking both at the sales process and the service process, how we help dealers communicate internally, um, how we help them communicate with the customer, um, how we just take some manual tasks out of uh, being necessary in the future. Um, we're doing a lot with our X-Time service offering and our DT-DMS, um, as well as working with CDK to improve our service repair order and how we you know, manage parts and add parts into a repair order without having to go into the DMS. You can do it right in X-Time and then have that integrate automatically. Every one of those steps that we take creates, um, at least ideally, right, it's what we're striving for,
1: efficiencies
0: that that help make that dealer uh, a better business, a more profitable business, and better engage consumers.
1: One of the barriers to entry, in my opinion, with software adoption, especially with used car dealerships, is in <laughs> So sometimes we'll get a dealer and they'll call us and they'll connect another vendor on the line and they'll say, hey can you guys integrate before the end of the day? And from the dealer standpoint, they don't understand kind of the complexity of two different companies, let's say integrating with a sales data API or that company may not have any APIs. From your perspective, what are some of the complexities of integration and why is it not something that can just be done overnight, for instance?
0: Yeah, well, I I think that's, let's just use a simple analogy why can't i go you know to france and just land in france and start ordering and speaking english and somebody's going to understand me but there are going to be some gaps in that because we speak two different languages essentially every one of these systems has been built over a long period of time and there there were no standards when they started and even if there are standards i mean we hear about something called star uh which is an automotive standard um but that's really a layout of data. It isn't a standard of what you put into each things. And there's there's some level of interpretation that can occur. Um, take something that we might think of as, as relatively simple as a customer um, and the customer record. Some systems may have only two phone numbers, while some other systems that can support up to four or five phone numbers or four or five emails. Well, what do you do? when those kinds of things occur. Um, so there's just kind of that fundamental difference of different systems have different um, requirements, different capabilities, different definitions of what, uh, what those things are. Um, so that becomes the first barrier. Um, the second one is, to your point, technology, right? We have differing sets of technology. So we have to we have to think about and expose things in a standard way as a as we do with our DMS or with our CRM or with X time. We have to put out some standards that allow another partner or or vendor to integrate with those then they have to develop it takes time to for them to understand it Um, they may have a use case that they want to execute on that if they use our API in a certain way it might work but we might not accommodate exactly what what they're trying to do right so it gets down to kind of sometimes into very specific things about way a dealer might want something to work and I've seen time after time when there's a really high expectation of a very specific process where that third party trying to come in and use like our APIs, as an example, uh, breaks down a bit. So it's really important that we get back to the problem that we're trying to solve, have a conversation about what's the core problem, and then allow the, the partners to work together to figure out how to solve that problem. And understand that unless it's right there out of the box, it's going to take some time. Even if it's out of the box and it's a new partnership, we have to come up with a contractual agreement. We have to get those things signed. So it's not going to happen by the end of the day. Um, (laughs) There are occasions where we've done things pretty rapidly, though. Um, And it just happened to be where we were solving things. We already have APIs published. You you can actually go to our developer site for VIN solutions, as an example, for uh, for dealer.com. Excuse me for DTDMS, and you'll see the specifications to integrate with us, and those are laid out, and dealer and uh, other partners could start using those, and and uh, they're specified in a pretty pretty significant or in a way that allows them to start working on them very quickly.
1: So you mentioned um, X Time earlier, and the service drive, of course, is one of the most profitable parts mm-hmm. of a dealership operation. What are you guys doing that's new and innovative on the service drive front?
0: Um, well, if I mean, literally this time last year, or even if we go back to January of last year, um, the experience that a dealer can have right now uh, with the consumer is completely different. Um, Nine months ago, if you came into my service bay, service drive, you could have scheduled your appointment al- online. But when you arrive, I'm going to greet you as an advisor. Um, we're going to, you know, we're going to do our work, but the two of us are going to interact. You're going to sign a piece of paper at some point. Um, I'm probably going to, if I find a problem, I'm going to walk all the way up and find you in or call you. Um, that was nine months ago. Today, you could schedule that appointment. Um, you'll be given a reminder to check in for yourself if you want to you'll be able when you arrive with your vehicle you can you can check in yourself on your phone not even walk into the dealership um, the advisor can take that they send the information back to the technician the technician um, takes your car if they see a problem they can video it they can video the entire inspection, um, identify the areas that are of issue, you'll see that on a uh, basically a status tracker, a page, not an application, it's just a simple page that you can see and track the status of your vehicle through its repairs. You could be at a coffee shop down the street, or you could be in our lobby, it makes no difference or at home. Um, And so Um, If there is a repair needed, I can tell you that I can show it to you in video, you can approve it. um, And then you'll be able to make a payment um, electronically from your device without having to, again, sign a piece of paper or hand us your credit card or shake the person's hand if you don't want to. So it leaves a lot of choice from a consumer's perspective. So that full digital interaction is something we can do today that we couldn't do nine months ago. Now, is it perfect? No, we have some opportunity to improve it and we're working on that, Um, but it is, it is way ahead of where it was. So really happy with that progress.
1: What are some of the challenges of running product and engineering that a dealer might not understand, but impacts, for instance, putting out updates or integrations from your standpoint?
0: Um, Well, first of all, you have your competitive landscape. So you have constant, right? We have, you know, some of the leading brands in each of our areas. And so we have a, you know, a lot of functionality that we provide. Dealers kind of see the surface of that functionality. Most dealers, as you mentioned a minute ago with integration, don't really think about all the integration that has Mm -hmm. to happen on the back end of a lot of these systems. Um, And so there's, first of all, something they think is simple is oftentimes more complex. Um, A big challenge when you have a large number of dealers that are using something, um, if, if I didn't have a lot of dealers on a platform, then I can make a change and I might impact a few people um, if I have an issue or if I make the wrong change. When you have six or 7,000 dealers that you're going to potentially impact, if you make right. a change, you have to really pay attention to what it is and how it's impacted and, and, uh, and those types of things. So you have to be very careful with the changes in order to keep quality. Um, The competitors, as I mentioned earlier, they're constantly adding new features. So when we're trying to um, keep up with the Joneses, so to speak, you have to be very careful about trying to do that because suddenly you're chasing, you know, five or six products um, and they may not have a lot of your features, but they may come up with a given feature that is unique to them, and they're going to use that to market. You have to be careful about reacting too quickly to those kinds of things and really look for the value that you're providing to to your particular customer, in our case, our dealers. Um, and as long as we stay focused on the value and stay focused on having good conversations about what we're trying to do, then I feel like we we do make good decisions. and, and generally speaking, we continue to evolve. if that's the big thing is we evolve our products. we're We're not going to go completely radically change our products in in big you know uh, mass moves, so to speak, because we have such a large customer base.
1: Interesting. And what are your thoughts on the rise of the online used car dealer, for example, Carvana, Vroom, a shift?
0: Um, you know, I think we all have to be open to competitors um, and it makes us better. And I think that's the the challenge that I think we as, as dealers, um, you know, used car dealers, smaller used car dealers that don't have that kind of capital or that kind of, I mean, that kind of, I guess, expanse, so to speak. Um, I'm still not sure any of them are making money yet, um, by the way. So, you know, I think a lot of, a lot of your dealers that are probably listening are actually wanting to make money. Um, And so, you know, I think you have to kind of factor that in, Um, you know, it's, it's interesting concepts. Um, My goal with our products is to provide your dealers, my dealers, the same type of capabilities. Um Carvana talks about, um Broom talks about, right? That touchless experience. They talk about, you know, buy the buying the car from their couch. Um, there's really no real reason we couldn't provide the same thing so that every dealer can do that. If we take it seriously as independent dealers, small independent dealers and franchise dealers, if we take what they're doing seriously and treat it as true competition, and we look to do um, the same things or provide the same service to our co- our consumers, our customers, then I think we will continue to be be competitive. And I think it will be you know, hard for them to acquire inventory. I think it will be hard for them to acquire customers if we're there and providing a better experience. So I think they're going to continue to be there. But again, are they going to make money? When are they going to make money? Sure. We have to keep watching them. So.
1: Right, and um, Cox Automotive they acquired a company called Clutch, which is in the car subscription arena. Mm-hmm. Do any of the brands that you manage touch Clutch, and then curious, are you, what are your thoughts on car subscription models?
0: Um, okay, so first, I'll give you my thought on the car subscription model. Sure, um, it's a. I mean, it's certainly a potential in the future, and it's you know, if we really think about it, it's flexibility in a lease, but it, and it's everything bundled in. It's still at this moment, a relatively, you know, high priced item. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if that can come down and be competitive for the average consumer. Um, so so that's a question, is is that convenience and vehicle changing over, is that gonna like, is that level of, of change and convenience enough that it justifies that additional payment? Maybe it is. Um, with Clutch, that's not the only play, and that's not the only way we're using um, Clutch. So, yeah, with X-Time as an example, mm-hmm. Clutch is playing a role um, as the, the method by which we can – when you schedule an appointment, you can also schedule a loaner vehicle. So, taking Clutch as an example, integrating with Volvo um, for their um, service um, – we're integrating with TSD for loaner vehicles to make them available. So putting them into that loaner um, element, um, then Clutch can then use the existing dealer's inventory and actually make it available to be rented. Um, so it might not be a subscription, it might be a rental kind of program as well. So subscription is a long-term rental, but if you can do subscription as a dealer and you wanna be in that place for those particular consumers, Also, think about some of your vehicles just being a rental for a weekend if I need a pickup. Um, And there might be a mechanism by which you can do that. So as you think about your your inventory as a potential fleet to be used instead of just sitting on a lot and sitting there idle, how to use your loaner fleet, how to use your entire lot inventory as potentially another revenue source, then I think – we can start thinking about it, maybe get more competitive with the subscription model. So um, I think it's got to play. It's still going to be, it's got a lot of, you know, a lot of room to grow and it's got a lot of work to get that growth.
1: So my last futures question is going to be around the growing EV market. Companies like Rivian, Nikola, they're challenging Tesla. What are your thoughts on the EV market as well as the service opportunity because of course they're not going to have oil changes things like that so curious what your thoughts are on the growing EV market
0: Um so the Nicola I don't know what's going to happen with them that's a very interesting one because they they're in a little bit of turmoil right now so we'll we'll see what happens with Nikola. um you know I can't comment on it um, at all, because I don't have a lot of context there about what's what's going on. I did have their stock and, and just looked at it, but uh, decided not to do that. And I'm kind of glad I didn't. So, um, you know, I, I think EVs gonna I mean, it's absolutely here to stay. Um, so it's just a portion um, of I mean, it's going to be a growing portion of, of what we sell. Um, as far as Yeah, it's not gonna have fluids. But it's still, these are very, very advanced vehicles. Um, and so, you know, if we think about, I don't know if it's, if it's EV part, that's going to get simpler, but the other elements of the vehicle are getting more complex, right? So, um, where do you, are you just going to go to Jiffy Lube to get, you know, your LIDAR checked? Um, and I, I don't think that's going to be the case. So I think there's opportunity in maintenance as we shift from fluid based maintenance and services, the repairs, I mean, you bump one of these vehicles and you knock some electronics out of whack i mean there's going to be some there's going to be a cost associated with that um you rip a bumper off that's got you know 10 15 sensors sitting in it it's a much more expensive bumper um so those are the opportunities i think we all should look at it's kind of moving away from fluids mm-hmm. and moving into another area so are we as dealers preparing our service drives and our service experiences for this high tech um area Are technicians i mean are they software technicians in the future? And maybe they are um, as a, as a, you know, for franchise dealers is an OEM going to keep their warranty, you know, continue with their warranty. If someone's bumped that bumper again and it's gone out of whack and they just, you know, where are they going to go to get it maintained so that the liability associated with that, how that LIDAR performs is is handled properly. So those are the kinds of things I think we need to think about. Um, we are seeing that service we believe service in the future will continue to expand. And we believe dealerships have an opportunity to continue to take a bigger part of that service versus your independence. Um, and when I say independent here, I mean independent service shop that is only doing primarily oil changes and those kinds of things. Right, They're going to have to shift. But if we as dealers where we might have a bigger, you know, bigger service drives and more technicians where we could advance that um, and take a bigger share of that future maintenance and repair. Uh, Capability.
1: So finally, James, talk about the Cox Automotive Forward Focus Conference and what came out of that recent conference you guys hosted.
0: Um, First thing I'll say is um, I was on vacation, Um, so I'll give you that uh, because I was my daughter was getting married, so um, I was not able to attend a couple of the couple of the elements. Um, But um, what we had, it was all done virtually. So this particular conference was done virtually. Um, I think we had somewhere over 3,000 um, people you know, signed up for each one, which is our largest um, conference we've ever done. Um, and then um, the show rate. Was incredibly high uh, for people, Um, and so the interest in what we're doing. We were very we were helping dealers think about things from a forward perspective, making sure they were all aware of everything that is available. Um, So high engagement, high interest, um, and you know, I I think the great thing is dealers are dealers are looking forward. Um, they are paying attention to what's, what's happening and what's going to happen. And I think they're, I think they're absolutely going to be in a, in a good position going forward.
1: And was there anything that I didn't mention on the podcast today that you'd like to discuss? You know, I'll, I'll just
0: let you know about one thing. We you know we're, we're thinking we have, we're shifting from our Product silos, XTime, DTDMS, mm-hmm. VIN solutions. We've always operated because we were acquisitions and we've come together, we have operated in those silos. And my organization, the product and engineering organization, is starting to operate more at a capability. And you th- if you think about capability, mm-hmm. um, communication. So instead of having email in XTime and email in VIN and email in DTDMS, um we're we're looking at communication email text those kinds of things across the board so that we're looking at things more holistically as a part of that we're also looking at our dealerships and we're trying to solve our problems differently so instead of looking at our dealerships through our lens of our products right our go to market brands we're actually lifting out of that and saying how do our dealers need us to look at them and so we think about it i think about the general manager Um, the dealer principal. I think about the sales manager, but I think about the sales manager differently than the service manager. And I think about the service manager different than the parts manager. And I think about the sales and service parts differently than I do the marketing manager and the controller. So we're looking at the roles and how we're building product um, to deliver for those roles. A big shift as an example would be marketing. Instead of X-Time marketing and being focused on service and VIN sales marketing being focused on VIN solutions, we're looking at how do we help the marketing manager stand up above and have simpler tools to look across sales, service, parts, loyalty, um, so that they have a marketing solution, not a set of 20 different products that they're trying to manage their advertising and marketing budget. We're we're advancing our advertising um, capabilities with things like um, over-the-top television or connected TV, um, as an example, where you can now advertise, and instead of going to traditional TV, we can actually target MLB.com. If we were, you know, if people are watching a, a baseball game and someone had been browsing in the household um, auto trader, then we can pop an advertisement that's very specific to your dealership. Those are the kinds of things we're thinking about when we start to shift our focus uh, from you know, our brands to look at the the dealers and the users in the dealership and, and look at it from their perspective.
1: Awesome. Well, James, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to join us on the Used Car Dealer podcast today.
0: Great. Thank you, Zach.